Hi, I'm Rick Hugh, and you're listening to the Winding Life Podcast. Today's guest is a longtime friend of mine, Bill Norrie, doctor, anesthesiologist, mountaineer, and solo circumnavigator sailor. Early in life, Bill had some rock-solid certainties. He loved the outdoors and needed to be out there doing things. And he wanted to be a doctor. We follow his journey from a schoolboy growing up in Lethbridge, Alberta, to a doctor practicing war surgery and anesthesiology in the Cambodian war zone. We talk about his surviving a near-fatal storm in the Southern Ocean on a solo voyage around the world on his 30-foot sailboat, only to land in New Zealand at the height of the COVID-19 pandemic, facing a radically different world from its last landfall six weeks previously. We talk about life needing to be lived, about stoicism, and about not being a bystander in your own life. The quote from Bill that sums up the conversation is, don't buy a house with a view, live the view, be part of the view. Great words to live by. Thank you, uh, Bill, for joining me on this particular podcast. I was really excited to get you on because uh, I've known you for a long time and you've done some really interesting things. And I can honestly say that you're, you're a guy who thinks outside the box. Whichever box you want to talk to, you think outside the oh. box. Oh, thank and you. So, so I really uh, wanted to get you on and pick your brain a little bit. My privilege. Go ahead, Rick. Yeah, thanks. So we first met many years ago, and I was trying to think back to when we actually did first um, encounter one another. I sort of estimated that it was probably around 2000 or 2002, somewhere in that range. Does that sound about right? Oh, for sure. For sure. I came back to the foothill 2000, July the 1st, 2000. And uh, I was here actually for three months in 99, but then 2000, I started. And uh, so, and you were right there. You were like the, the man at that point, you know, <laughs> for the TD final program. And well, you know, it. you know, things change and, you know, sort of the sun gets eclipsed at times. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you were in Ontario for quite a while and tell me a little bit about, your early life and, you know, where you, where you grew up and where you went to school and that kind of Love stuff. It. Oh, yeah. I'm actually a prairie kid. I grew up in uh, southern Alberta, Lethbridge, and a good place to grow up and leave. You know, I feel sad for people who grow up in a place <laughs> like a ghetto, like Oak Bay, Victoria, right, because it's so good. I don't know where they go, but when you come from Lethbridge, everywhere's up, right? And, uh, <laughs> so I was born in Lethbridge, <laughs> and uh, I, I teased a child abuse by neglect. You know, we were home for supper back before dark, and nobody else knew what was going on, but there was not much going on. And uh, But the Rocky Mountains were on the, on the, on the, on the western horizon, and so we found our way to the mountains to go fishing and then hiking and my life took off as a teenager right it was uh it was fantastic was that uh, sort of your passion when you were when you were a kid was that what you were living for uh, the outdoors oh, yeah, totally. and, yeah the outdoors i was never good at a boy change girl and uh <laughs> and i exchanged I, i'm thankful to acne i had a two-week window between acne and gray hair right and i was not even <laughs> boy change girl so I, I was a loser of that <laughs> i love going to the mountains being, you know and running real gross motor activity and uh, the mountains were spectacular and it was it was a it was a refreshing and I've then discovered topographical maps, kind of like Bill Bryson. I discovered topographical maps, and it was so beautiful. And we just kept roaming from mountain to mountain. And 
old mountaineers go to sea, so I knew I was going to go to the ocean before I ever saw it, right? It's just uh, the gravity uh, takes effect. Oh, yeah. You, know, you see the big horizon and you know you want to go, right? I, so from southern Alberta, I went, I went to medical school in Edmonton, and then I interned in uh, in New Zealand to climb the Southern Alps, and uh, was there for a couple of years, and then third world medicine a real doctors go where diseases is right so i went to uh, nepal and looked at i looked after leprosy patients for a year and change and then came back to edmonton did another in rotating year and then uh, some anesthesia discovered how fun anesthesia was and then and then did the anesthesia program in calgary and then a subspecialty in pediatric anesthesia in in washington dc and then came back to alberta for three years and got reverse culture shock after going about with the Red Cross <laughs> to, to uh, Cambodia as a war surgeon and uh, anesthesiologist. And they quit that all and went, went to the coast to raise my family on, in Lotus Land and was on Vancouver Island for 12 years, 88 to 2000, and then got bored and uh, community hospital. So I did my, my career in reverse. I did the first half in the community hospital and the second half in the, in the foothills. Uh, so in the that's, that's a lot of travel, a lot of, you know, change and, was there something about the way that, you know, you, you grew up uh, or your family that sort of influenced you to seek out those those interesting and different venues for, for living and working? No, I don't know, Rick. I think, you know, I, I always knew I was practicing my doctor's signature in grade eight. You know, I knew I was going to be a doctor. <laughs> there was no, no question. That was the only thing I really wanted to be. There was no plan B. And uh, <laughs> uh, there was no plan B. So I went full at it. And uh, I don't know why. So I was lucky that I knew that I wanted to do. And I and I just, uh, no hold bar. I was the biggest nerd you've ever seen. And uh, so in the winter, it was mount, it was uh, it was medicine. And in the summer, it was mountaineering. And that's sort of what it was. I focused on that continually the mm-hmm. whole time, climbed as many mountains as I could and, and wanted to be uh, highest training in the land. I wanted to be as good as I could be as a real doctor. And uh, it was, I was blessed and it was really, I loved it. It was, I didn't, old guys retire. I quit. I just quit. <laughs> I ran out of time, Rad. <laughs> and, and, and what but, was uh, it that, what was it that uh, attracted you to going on, missions and you know with the red cross and with with others you know to these third world countries what was that impetus doctors are supposed to look after sick people and hurt people right and, and civilian surgery is okay but it never comes at a good time and unfortunately <laughs> bad timing everybody ticked off and whatnot but in so- soldiers are such great patients to look after they're so thankful a they're alive b they're not on the battlefield c they're being cared for and d they're getting fed and so they're so and they're healthy young bucks and uh it was really fun i loved working with the red cross it was just it was in a mm-hmm. sub-career right i went four times four different missions and uh in different war zones each time and it's a change as good as a rest it was re- it was inv- invigorating it was it was really war surgery mash hospital it was exciting it was fun and mm-hmm. it was uh, it's great see the world right doing medicine doing the world but what about those people who you know sort of uh, decided not to do those sorts of things i mean what what's your view on the sort of you know underlying characteristics of, of people who do want to do those things and don't want to do those things i you know it's uh, it just seems like there are anesthesiologists who you don't want to do one procedure for one set of patients for the rest of their lives. And they're just, they're sort of relatively happy, I guess. 
They're happy, but I feel sorry. I feel sad for them. Right? Life's for living. Right? Get out there and do it. You're not gonna have much time. You don't have much time here. Right? We're all we're all gonna run down your feet. You gotta get at it best you can. Right? I I know. I don't understand it. Just explore. You want to see as much and do as much as you can before you can't do it anymore. Because it's it's all up to you. It's all up to us. And we're the lucky. We're the fortunate ones. Are born in Canada this era and with this uh, background. We you know we got to university and. I, I didn't go into medicine to make all kinds of big money, live in a big house, drive a fancy car. You know, no, I not. My, my brother would get cross at me because I was with T-shirts and uh, and cutoffs and run around to the mouth. I wasn't in a fancy car and eating fancy, fancy wine and stuff. Right? No, I know. I I don't. Uh, I said I used to tell my residents, don't buy a house with a view. Whatever you do, do not buy a house with a view. Be in the view. You'll pay with your life for that house with a view. And you're, and you're sitting on there and looking out at it, right? No, you want to be in the view and doing it. And and we're not economically, uh, you know, we're not, uh, whatever, you know, you need to, you need, you, can, you can't do everything, I don't think. You can't live in a palace and uh, and, and sail around the world, right? You, you just don't have, unless, I don't know how you do that, but economically you can't do it. you got to make choices, right? So right. the choice to go do it rather than, than look at it. You want to be in the arena, not in the bleachers. And then, and uh, you've got to be experienced. It's not the meaning of life, Rick. You know, it's the experience of life. So you want to cram as much experience as you can and be a positive force on the planet while we're here. Full stop. Did, did you ever have any second thoughts about things or regrets, you know, about, no. about some of the decisions? Never? No, I love medicine. I love <laughs> medicine intensely. It's been so fun. And it's a social thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I just love the whole environment and I love the biology of it, the underlying foundation. And uh, no, I never regretted medicine one little bit. And, and mountaineering was fantastic when you have all that gross motor energy and going, going, going. It was, you know, I look back at pictures. I can't believe I was that lean and happy. And, and I just, you know, I, life is not too long. It's wasted. You got to do it as quick as you can. I just hang around in a, you know, I know I've got to go do it. Right. And, uh, and so I'm really, I'm really happy with all those things. And, uh, no, I'm just lucky. I had that. I knew where I wanted to go and I went at it and, and kept going and there was no plan B ever. ever but, you know, <laughs> but, but now you're, you're not practicing. And, and so is, is this not plan B? Oh no, this is the other thing. <laughs> oh, this is, is still plan A. Oh, yeah, this is definitely plan A the whole way right. You know, and there's early, like chess, there's early game, mid game, and end game, right? And uh, we met each other in the middle of the middle game when we're in our in our full stride, full on ad, ad, adults, uh, raising our families and being participants and producers in our society and full on working. And now, as soon as you stop working and you're in end game and now you're running down running down our resources and and you just want to declare de- decrease the slope so you can last as long as you can right <laughs> so no this is definitely the game and uh no i'm really happy and uh no it's good it's good here it's very good and so was your intention always to go back out to vancouver island and uh enjoy the the weather and the and the and the outdoors there Oh, yeah. I tried before, like in 88, I tried to immigrate to B.C. I'm a failed immigrant. For 12 years, I came running back to Alberta. I'm so thankful that Quiddle took me back, right, even though I was like 40 years old. And uh, uh, But it, 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 the work environment in Alberta was is a completely different game than out here. And I, I didn't quite fit in here. I, at least I didn't feel like, you know. I, you know, I always, no offense to the, the small town where I was for 12 years, but I felt like a major league baseball player, a first draft choice 
from the big leagues. And then I chose to go into the Bush League. And then I was working <laughs> in the, playing the Bush League with a team that was at the bottom and they didn't care about being in the bottom. I was so happy to put those brought me back. So it could be the place where the helicopters come to, not disappear from. And, uh, <laughs> and it was really, really, really good. I love the foothills. But so I'm going to immigrate now and we're going to make it happen because I'm not in the workforce. And um, my peer group are the guys just like uh, just like us, you know. They're fifty plus, and uh, and uh, they're a sense of civilized, good guys, and we have a passion for sailing. And uh, we're not proud of the great big Canadian flags and honking to stop anti back. No, no, that it, we feel bad for those people, but you know, we're not like that. That's not the group that we live in now. So, they're social creatures, and and we live in the, in, a, in an old community here in Victoria, and. Uh, walk the dog every time the same time of day so we we're kind of in the fabric of our walking community and uh, it's a good way it's good and i'm fortunate very lucky and and so what um what brought you to to sailing and and you know to the water oh well it, it was all first thing it was all about medicine and mountaineering and then reading around mountaineering there's a fellow by the name of bill uh tillman bill tillman he he wrote a lot of books about adventure, and uh, he was a soldier, and then a and then a uh, uh, a mountaineer, and uh, and then a, and then a, a, sa- a sailor. And he wrote all kinds of books about it. And he's the guy who I, I realized that old mountaineers go to sea. He gets from the time when you're over fifty, when it's just hard to carry a big pack from you know for fourteen hours a day. It's really it doesn't make, make me turn your crank. And you know, he knew, and so he bought a, a sailboat and didn't know how to sail in his middle life. And he went sailing, went to Greenland and Patagonia, and and uh, traverse the ice caps and climb mountains, and it's just so—it's wild, it's it's wilderness, and it's uh, it's uh, it's what it's it's. So I knew I was going to do that before I ever saw the ocean, right? It mm-hmm. just uh, I loved it, and uh, and I I I was so another thing I did. I spent three months in a psychiatric hospital as the intern, looking after the inmates. And they, if you did some guys did some terrible thing, they put them in this in this south you know <laughs> ward for three months and watch them see if they're crazy or just bad. Where people. where was that? Was that in Alberta? Yeah, Alberta. Alberta Hospital, and uh, so you know they kept me watching the psychiatrist would evaluate them, and I was there, poor guys, to see if they were you know sick or anything. And they all wanted to do one thing. Every one of those guys, I must have got to watch for thirty for three months, four months, uh, hundred guys. They all wanted to get out on the street. They want to get back on the street. Wow, on the street. That's a wow. What's that? We never want to get on the street. Like being on the street is not the street is where we where our houses were, but we don't want to be on the street. We want to be in nature, in the in the wild, in the wilderness on planet Earth. I, so I know I never wanted to be on the street, you know, like that, that, that was, it, they, they didn't have an idea that there's a, why would we live our lives in this urban culture and opulence that we have and never get out into the wild? I mean, I, it's a shame. It's an absolute, like never having been fit in your life. Why would you spend your life never being fit? I mean, being fit is, was, is a wonderful feeling and being in the, in the, in the natural world is a wonderful feeling and way to be. And so I knew that definitely always loved that and uh, still do. And, so it's a combination it's a balance of doing that but 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 you you know you you saw or you had read all mountain climbers go to the sea um and was that the thing that that drew you or you know when you saw the ocean was that did did the epiphany happen you say aha this is this is where i need to be 
Absolutely. We were did at the end of a mountaineering summer. I'll never forget. I think it was 1972 or something. So whatever I was at the end of the sea, we did a we did a cool down hike at the end of a mountaineering season by doing the West Coast Trail back in the early 70s and sitting there on a log looking at a ship go by. Wow, wonder what goes on out there, right? Look at that. And they realize the ocean is the world's biggest thing, right? It's big, and the Southern Ocean is the world's last wild big place. So I had to go to go there. You can't just sit on the shore and look at it. You want to be out there and feel it, right? So it was uh, it was uh, I look cool. I look cool and relaxed and sort of last affair, but I'm cold bloodly calculated, right? Cold bloodly calculated. I knew that was going to happen and I read everything I could around it and, uh, and we work towards that, right? And to go to sleep, I have my, you know, the mantra to, to go to sleep is the 30 pound backpack in the 30 foot sailboat. How can you make the map? Anything over 30 feet or 30 pounds gets to be a real real not so much fun after about three days you're dragging that thing around or so i i you know minimize everything i possibly can and maximize the potential to do because anything bigger than that is not increasing does not make it better it actually makes it less 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 good you know it's so no i knew it's going to go to the ocean and it is panned out the ocean is a wild beautiful place this shouldn't be planet earth it should be planet ocean and uh mm-hmm. average two miles deep i mean hello and uh you know, it's uh, it, what's it goes on out there. How can you live on land and look out at the sea and not want to know what does it feel like? What is it? How, what's the essence of the thing? And you need to spend time to do so. Just like in the mountains. Now, you can never be at the bottom of the valley, look at the top of the mountains. And think, oh, I wonder what goes on up there. No, I want to go up there. Find out what goes on up there. Oh, I, what's the point? Right? Like, no. So you how, how did you how did you work up to your major sort of uh, trips? Because you've you've been around the world a few times. Yeah. I, mean, I have this, I have this, I believe it, uncanny neck. I don't understand why, you know, when I see, when I know what I want to do, I find somebody who's really good at it. And then I snuggle mm-hmm. up and I'd be the best boy I can. And I become their buddy. <laughs> and I've had, so I've had real gurus, both in anesthesia, mountaineering and sailing. I've had real gurus that I can say, you know, I really want to go to the mountains. And, you know, you're, you're the guy. What, wait, can I, would you want a partner? Hey, want a partner? I'll, I'll, you name it. I'll be there. We'll do it. And, and uh, become, make a relationship. And so use a, a private teacher essentially to, to guide me along. What should I read? What should we read? What, why do you have these boots? And just pick your way at it and be a good guy and don't be the, the nuisance. And um, so I've got, each time I, 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 you know, we, we all learn from those around us and some people you will know to avoid and others you see are really quality. And so you, you know, you watch them like a hawk and snuggle up. So, and so Bill, you, you know, right from the get go, you've had this passion, you know, to, you know, whichever thing that you've chosen and you've, and you've kept with it. Why do you think that you've, you've got that kind of a personality and then you look at some other people, you know, some people we may know, you know, Mm -hmm. collectively who Mm -hmm. are pretty milk toast and, you know, they say, Oh, maybe you're okay. I guess so. I mean, what's, what's the difference between gung ho bill and milk toast Oh, you know, I think of the acorn theory, you know, or the acorn theory or the, you know, the, uh, and the Odysseus gene, right? I, I, you know, I, I, and once again, they come back from a boring place like that, but you can't wait to get out of there to keep going, right? And it feels so good. My adult life is 10 times better than my childhood. I feel, I feel sad for people who have great childhood, then they slide out and I don't know. I've made, I, my, my adult life is spectacular. My child life was, 
you know, waiting for summer to, you know, to start and then school to start. That's what it was. And I remember getting heck once I got heck. I was sitting there and daydreaming in, in school and in grade school. Teacher came up and in my face and pointed at my, what are you smiling about? What are you smiling? What's going on? What are you smiling about? Nothing, teacher. Nothing. I'm just good here. I didn't need anything. I got a goofy face that just is happy, right? So why? I don't know. I just was ever, right? And, oh, no, my life is too short to waste it. You know, and they're Joe Cool. You know, these Joe Cools, they're so cool. They don't do this. They're not beneath them. That's beneath them. Next thing you know, they sit around and do nothing and play Xbox or something. I don't know, right? Or bless their hearts, right? To each their own, but not, not this cowboy. No, uh-uh. No, I want to get going. And uh, No, it's fun. No, it's we make it happen. And so you, you, got, you got hooked with uh, sailing. And so, and you had a mentor, I guess, to yeah. really bring you, bring you around. How long did it take before you, you sort of start to feel confident that you were going to achieve those things that you wanted to achieve or, or was know. it, or did your dreams get bigger and bigger? It as got you, bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, we went, you always pushing the envelope, like mountaineering is, you, know, you know, when you can't do that, you back off and you learn how to do it. And then you, then you go back and you learn, and you always, you always advance two lies in mountaineering. It's, it's, it's when going tough, you put a rope on your safe. Uh, that's wrong. It's just dangerous. right? And once you get good, you'll be safe. Wrong. You just keep doing more and more. Right. And that was the same thing with the ocean. And I remember my uh kathy my wife and i on our first time around we we're out in the middle of the ocean we're learning stuff all the time and think, oh my god when is this curve going to slow down we keep learning stuff all the time right and and uh, so you, you there's certain risk involved i guess there's certain risk involved and you learn as you go but uh, but we I, I oh another one of my little lines is medicine took my youth but taught me how to read <laughs> and uh, I, I gave it willingly to and learned how to read because I never read as a child. Boys didn't read in that bridge back. No. Nobody read nothing, right? That's why topographical maps were great because you couldn't didn't have to read. You could look at the map and study the map. Just they learned how to pictures. read. Yeah, look at pictures. The map, the map, and. And in medicine, I learned how that on that 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 voyage we go on when we're opening up books, we had such fun at our desks learning that anatomy and the physiology and the intricacy of chemical well, organic chemistry. It's beautiful how it all works out. But you learn how to learn how you learn. And I knew how I learned was reading and talking and then practicing and then doing more and more and more and and then keep looking for experts to snuggle in with. And and so when we lived in uh, Duncan. I, uh, we bought a sailboat, my father-in-law, my guru, father-in-law, who didn't know too much, but the two of us together did, we, 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 we could, and we found a couple of good sailors and we recruited them to our crew. We went racing and, uh, we, we picked their brain. We worked really hard from the bottom of the fleet up into the middle and up, out into the swift shirt, out into the open ocean and back again and survived. And, and then I met other guys out of the Royal Vic Yacht Club. And then and, and in 92, I think it was, we went to the Vic Maui, my first offshore, uh, you know, with the with a bunch of really great guys I'm still friendly with here at the club. And then you realize that I know as much as these guys, right? They don't know, they don't know either. Right? So then and you keep reading and you read, all, and it's all out there. When, when, when I started, there was no information. It was very hard to find information mm-hmm. about offshore sailing and yachting. Now it's, it's just, it's, it's, you got to pick and choose because there's so much information and so much nonsense out there, but, but it's fun to learn. It's not, it's not the, it, it's the learning. It's the process of happening. And uh, that's what was so fun. And we just keep pushing it and pushing it. And, uh, and um, then next thing you know, we're on the middle of the ocean and we get to the other side. Well, let's keep going. Right. We'll, we'll go to the next ocean. Right. And we learn about that one. And you go, Oh, we made it all the way around. Let's go all the way around. This is great. See what is around. It's perfect. It was so much fun. Right. 
And the first time in the tropics going westerly uh, was was a dream where I got to go on and on about how many unbelievable sunsets and wonderful dinners and times Kathy and I had that whole year. We were about a 20, about 360 days at sea, 24-7, five years overall, but a whole year of sailing. And then after the tropics, you well, the what's left is the Southern Ocean. I got to go to the Southern Ocean, right? Got to go in the easterly direction of the Southern Ocean. And that was another game changer learning thing and uh but they build on each other and Mm -hmm. so you come away with as much as i can get right it's good and so how do you how do you like you went this last time you were you were on your own obviously and that's a long time on a boat by yourself no problem no problem (laughs) no problem you know, as I said, I said in an interview, well, I've had 60 years with people, six months by myself. I'll take it, bring it on. I'm all over it, right? I'm, it's good. It's all good. And, and the, I did this really clever thing. I went, I spent, I lived on the boat in the in the yacht club for six weeks before I left in the final preparation after three, five years of getting it ready. I spent the last six weeks on the boat just polishing and finishing and everything. And one of my missions, I spent a couple, I went a couple of weekends. I went down to Washington, sailed across the street and back, and I stopped in a little town. And I go sit in a restaurant on outdoor in the summer before I left. Sit in a little restaurant and snuggle up in a table so I could hear the people around me, a couple of tables around me, right? And when you listen to the conversation, eavesdrop on people's conversation. I'm not missing too much. No, it's just not really that exciting. There's nothing really good going on. Well, there is, but not really. It's sort of trivial, non, non, not, not, nothing, right? So I didn't miss something to myself. Oh, boy, I'm not missing anything. But most conversation is pretty, pretty, you know, like shallow. And uh, so then, and, and, you know, a whole couple of milk crates of classic books you always wanted to read and have this conversation with, with the big guys, and then in my head up on deck working and then come down and I'd read and carry on, pick up where we left off. And I didn't mind, honestly, I didn't mind being by myself. That was great. It was truly great. I mean, you, you, we have a life in between our ears. And uh, I had email com, con, uh, contact with, uh, with Kathy and a, a really good friend to help with the weather, you know, uh, limited to 160 characters times two per day, maybe. And, uh, but that was okay. It was good. You know, you, you didn't miss, I didn't, you know, I don't feel like I missed anything. Right. I, I, and the most of our, I, I believe, I believe on my soap opera, we in the Western world, we, we uh, criticize these millennials for all this, uh, you know, phone, uh, you know, Snapchat, uh, quick, 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 yeah. you know, like, you know, like, uh, but, and, and, and we don't need, we did nothing go of any depth. And, and so at sea, you're just a long conversation. And it's, uh, it's, it's really a, a way, it's, it's a wonderful way to t- tame your mind down. You're not distracted with this, you know, so-called news, which doesn't affect us. It doesn't, if it doesn't, if I, if my behavior, if what's happening out there doesn't affect my immediate behavior, why should I worry about it? You know, I vote and pay my taxes and I help the lady on the street, but I don't, I'm not going to change it. You know, what anesthesiologist in the world is changing the world's program, right? Like, you just got to stop and suffering. We're just there to support them. That's great, right? So without being at sea, it was fantastic because everything related to me. It was so, what, you hear a noise? You got to go find out what that noise is and you stop that noise, right? And you feel the movement change. You got to go out there and change the thing. And, and so everything had validity. I would say there's an electricity at sea. Um, Sir Francis Drake says, not that life on land is bad. It's just that life at sea is better. There is something electric about being out there all by yourself for, you know, literally hundreds and hundreds of miles in all directions. It's a beautiful thing. So was it the, 
the immediacy of it, the, the, the actual direct connection between something happening and then, and then oh, yeah. having an impact on, on you. And so I guess that when you ran into some bad weather, that sort of really perked you up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Really good. It's really great. Everything on that boat is under your control, right? Well, except the weather. And you've got to deal with it. You've got to answer to the weather, right? When that is, it's a wonderful thing. It's totally wonderful. And, and, and there's nobody else. There's no looking around. Your turn, Mike. I don't want to do that. You know, you look after the boat and the boat looks after you. And you become one with the boat and the, you anthropomorphize the boat. So the boat becomes mm-hmm. a, a, a living organism, your best friend. And you work together and there's a, there's a synergy that happens. And it just feels... It it feels really it's a really good it's good it feels really good don't feel i used to think oh those poor professional sailors in the in the classic age of sail where they spent years on the boat never get off the boat right they got a whole world on that boat they don't need what's going on on land quite frankly a lot of the time they especially if you're you know looked after i think that that may be the you know the the blind spot that we have about all of the all of the people who traveled you know back in the day when was sail or and even the even the steamboats uh, across the uh, oceans were slow and you know sort of steady it, it seemed that it changed the way that you thought about the the world oh i agree and, you know our boats go these boats uh, the, the length of the boat is, determines the length of the possible speed for the displacement boat and so boats in this size with you know 30 foot waterline length they do about five six knots which is about Fast is a very fast. It's a fast jog. You could mm-hmm. sprint faster for a bit, but you can't keep going. You know, like oh, I, I it's saw, a human speed. It's I a human saw, speed. I saw a video of you at seven knots. Oh yeah, well uh, that yeah, that's pretty. It's a bit of a current probably too. <laughs> that's over the ground. 20, Twenty knots of wind and seven knots of uh, oh yeah underway. Okay. You know. <laughs> that's a wonderful feeling. Yeah, it's a wonderful feeling, right? And uh, but you know, there's a little bit of a current. There's a half a knot of current there. You do, you know, you boast along with that, but you can run that fast for a short distance. But I think, you know, that hundred thousand years of standing on our feet, we're used to that's as fast as we like to go. Anything faster mm-hmm. than that's not quite right, right? There's something <laughs> wrong. And so I'm satisfied with six, seven knots. It's fantastic. It's, it works in my brain, and I like it. I don't do it slow. <laughs> it just carries on. But it sounds like. You've got a very, um, very stoic sort of view of of the world in the sense that that whole concept that if there's nothing that you can do about it, then it's not something you you need to worry about. And it's yeah, the things like- that the things that you can do something about or that directly affect you are, are the ones that you should spend your time and effort on. Oh, I totally agree, Rick. No, I'm a I'm a Stoicism student, and uh, and I uh, read all I can. I you know the Seneca and Epictetus and uh, and Marcus Aurelius. They're the, they're my you know guiding lights. I tried it. You know, it's hard. Mm. It's easy to talk. It's hard to live it. But they're, <laughs> they're <laughs> it's a good way to be. I think it's really good. Don't we? Life is precious. Don't waste uh, days being angry about things that does nothing. You know, like but that doesn't mean anything. You're not going to change anything. But losing that time, being upset. Don't be upset. Don't don't be a slave to that uh, that opinion. Right. Just and only be folk to work with, uh, within what you can affect and and those around you who who you Im- impact upon. That that's where our energy needs. I believe our energy needs to be if we're going to maximize the the positive and the enjoyment of living while we got it. Is mm-hmm. don't worry about that other stuff and and remember life is short. 
Yeah. It is surprisingly <laughs> short, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember somebody was saying, oh, and every time we go to the Red Cross, you know, you, you give up lots of money to do that, right? Like, you know, your full salary for, you know, oh, you don't even all that money? Who cares, right? Whatever. I wanted to be a doctor, not to make money. I wanted to be a doctor, right? And then somebody said, well, isn't that dangerous? Oh, yeah, it's dangerous. Someone didn't come home every time I went, right? Somebody got, uh, didn't make it back, right? Somebody can get, but that, if you're not, a, you know, that's, that's the way it is. That's the reality. If, if you're, so, you're so protected behind all these, you know, protections that we have built in around us, you're not really feeling the breeze on your face, right? So, okay, for those, but not for me. No, thank you. No, life's, no, no. <laughs> so when you were, um, I've read in some of the news reporting that you took a really big wave, uh, you know, in that, that last trip and it sort of disabled the part of your, um, communications and, and, yeah. um, that kind of thing. Can you, can you, uh, talk a little bit about what happened there and what your thoughts were oh, when, yeah. when that was happening? That was probably the closest I've come to the big one. That was really, that was really close. And I made a whole bunch of little mistakes to getting into that situation until all of a sudden I was there, right? And it was the, the Southern Ocean is bounded by five Southern Capes. And this was the fourth of the five. This was uh, Tasmania. I was coming underneath mm-hmm. Tasmania and, uh, and heading towards New Zealand. And I, and, uh, couldn't, and I couldn't stop in Australia because of COVID, I found out. But that's okay. I, want, I was running out of time anyway. I need to keep going to get out of the Southern Ocean. So I had to go all across the Tasman Sea, up underneath us, New Zealand and up, up to Christchurch. So anyhow, so there's a big storm coming. We heard there's a really big storm with 50, 60 knots coming up from, from behind me. So, but it, it, the Tasmania is like a, was like a, was a shelter on the lee side of Tasmania. On the east side of Tasmania, the storm didn't have, wasn't going to hit there. So I wanted to get up underneath the east east side of Tasmania. With good idea at the beginning, right? Because the big storm's coming in, in 36 hours. But I, so because that big storm coming, I, I didn't pay much attention like I should have, could have, would have to the, to where I put myself. So I came onto the continental shelf of Tasmania to round underneath it. It was only, I'll never forget, it was supposed to be 28 to 32 knots of breeze, which is like mm-hmm. top end for us. It's spectacular, but it's getting up there. Ah, that's nothing compared to the 40, 50 that's coming the next day. I'll scoot down underneath that. No problem. Long. <laughs> and then, and, then, and, uh, and uh, worked hard to, to get came within 20 miles of the, so I could see it. And uh, as a landfall in the morning of that, that this morning, and I remember I was sort of up and down all night long, very, watching for a light somehow to see this Tasmanian shore and a daylight and, and, and a cold crossed over onto the shelf about 10 miles, 20 miles off. And, Oh, it was okay. It was all really good in the morning. I was feeling good, but it was, and I was kind of excited. And so I stayed up and I worked in the, in the, in the cockpit all day. And then the wind started increasing and increasing and increasing. And then I got, and then there was a little islets off the bottom end of Tasmania. I couldn't go where really safe, safe trajectory down these waves because that would have brought me onto the shore so i had to bear up and come up a little bit and to to avoid these rocks in front of me but to do that put the boat at risk a little bit and the waves started getting bigger and bigger and, the, and, and i so i didn't do all so i had to hand steer start hand steering around noon or so and to get through these waves to get out around the on the shore of past the cape around two o'clock and i was going on and then it got really strong the wind was blowing like 40 knots now plus and the waves got really steep i've never seen waves like that mm. in, the, in the books they say the waves are mast high waves like oh yeah mast high waves. Like, yeah give me a break i don't believe that one a little bit right 
<laughs> I remember in the cockpit steering, it got really dramatic and they were short. So they were like 50 meters apart, not 200 meters apart. So they were really short and coming fast. The bigger the wave, the faster the wave. Mm-hmm. And it's not just the size of the wave, it's the steepness of the wave. So in, the, in an early storm, the waves are steep and they're close and uh, and and, they, and then they gain height. Well, that afternoon, it was unbelievable. I, I realized it was, I started hand steering for fun, kind of. And then I had to hand steer for for. for to save my soul to avoid these rocks and get away. So I was getting away under the, away from these rocks, but the waves are getting bigger and bigger. And late in the afternoon, I remember looking back and I could see the sun through the wave. I mean, the face of the wave was right behind the boat, like standing up like a three, four story apartment building behind the boat coming right at me. And the sun was shining through the doggone wave. Like, <laughs> that was amazing. I thought, Oh my God, this is a great, this is incredible. <laughs> Then you're on the edge where it's really, really fun, and I was going to do too much fun. And I was like, oh, oh. And, uh, and, and about five o'clock in the evening, they were like, it was crazy. It was 50 knots. I saw go by 50 knots breeze, 50 knots at the top of the wave, and then the bottom would be nothing. And then mm-hmm. come up the next one would be 50 knots at the top of the bottom. So the boat would not steer itself. I had to hand steer it. And by about six o'clock, I've been in the cockpit steering for like 12 plus hours. And I was exhausted, not exhausted, but I thought, my God, I haven't eaten, drank, or wee weed, nothing all day. I got to get something. This is, I got to get sustained myself. It's because sun's going down here. And uh, so I, I calculated the time and I ran down, uh, jumped down the companionway. It's all closed up to, you know, keep water from down below and uh, filled my pockets with granola bars. And I was coming up the companionway up the ladder to get up into the cockpit. And I looked up, I saw a wall of water right over top of the water. Oh, and, and, and you just don't think you just sort of you're, you know I, I, and, and the boat started going over on her side and I hung I moved from the front of the back of the companionway to the side went right over on her side and and then uh, you know, biology kicked in and all of a sudden the water was flowing over me and I remember thinking Rick to myself mm-hmm. oh mammalian reflex I got it I don't even have to tell myself to don't breathe I know I don't <laughs> breathe I was hanging on the side this thousand and one thousand and two thousand and three was water was flowing over me like I was in a waterfall it was just pouring over me mm-hmm. through the opening in the hatch into the boat into the boat right hanging on the side my feet are hanging off the side and I'm hanging on the edge of this thing counting as the water was flowing over me and finally after about three or four seconds she came up and the water stopped and I carry them up into the cockpit and the boat is filled with water now I got like a, I got about two feet of water in the bottom of the boat just totally like crazy out there like and they really were massed i think maybe 30 40 foot waves i don't know what they were at least that and close and steep and i remember thinking to myself whoa if there's ever going to be a time this is one of these this is, <laughs> i made a lot of mistakes with the one and then something went right behind the boat and I, holy shit there's a rock went by and it was one of my propane tanks i'd lashed on the deck on the floor it got, it got knocked it fell off it would lash down a boat was on our side the propane tank was bobbing away past me went right by my own propane tank oh that's now now another problem right <laughs> i realized this is really bad and well i'll heave too i'll heave too but i can't heave too because i got the doggone rocks 10 miles to the north of me right i can't or 20 miles to the north of me i don't know which way the winds blow so i had to hang in there and hand steer well and, and never did eat anything there ain't drank mm-hmm. eat, eat nothing for like 18 hours and fell asleep in the in the cockpit uh, hand steering through this storm and thankfully it 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 take tapered down and next thing i know i was i I woke up sleeping in the cockpit and it was getting calm it was like two in the morning and uh, and we made it through but that was so close because it took a day and a half for the 
bilge pump to empty all the water out of the boat, and that completely rotted. Start it didn't rot. It started rotting, and the, the, all the electronics, everything, you know, the lights at the top, oh, the okay. EIS, mm-hmm. you know, all everything. And so that was a real sailboat from pretty much there on in. <laughs> but that was really close. Rick. That was so she could have gone all the way over, and uh, she went slid down that wave on her side. The wave broke over top. And she just I don't know. It was past ninety degrees. It was upside, so maybe one hundred and twenty degrees over. Another twenty, ten or 15, ten degrees, and she could have continued to go. And that would have, I would have been probably thrown out of the boat in the ocean and the mask would have get broken off and that would have been it. Right. So that was, that was really the real deal. That was fantastically wild. So after, (laughs) after you, you sort of woke up, I mean, what were you thinking? You know? Oh, that was close. That was close. But you know what, Rick? I'm not worried about dying. I remember thinking, I, was like, I don't care if I'm going to die. This is great. I love cold water. Water is perfect. Right? I, well, in a lot of ways, I don't want to die, but that wouldn't be a bad way to go. Right? Now, you know, you, I'm never going to die. I'm going to swim right to the very end. I can just swim and swim and swim, and then that'll be it. Well, I don't worry about it, right? I, as long as I'm on the surface a little bit, and uh, and it's you'll get colder and colder, and that's it. It's, it's a possibility. But uh, I wouldn't be okay with it. I've you know I've had a lot of you know three score you know change now, so I'm I'm I would have been okay with it you know with it. And then the Tasman Sea was really bad. I mean, there's still 900 miles or thousand miles to get to New Zealand, and I had like four more gales between there and the ten days later mm-hmm. to get around the thing. So it was a it was a really wild you know month at the end of those three months. It was uh, it was spectacular. It was absolutely spectacular <laughs> the whole way. Yeah. Was wonderful. <laughs> so it wasn't along the. You weren't thinking along the lines of, uh, "Lord, why me?" You were. No. It seemed like you were thinking more along the lines of, "Thank you, Lord, for giving me the the chance to see this." Yeah, the experience <laughs> to do it right, and no one helped. I did that whole thing about myself, and if I went, that's okay. I didn't hurt anybody. I was all good. I was really good with it, and uh, I did. I didn't do. I didn't do everything right, but I did enough to get through it. And 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 the boat was so good, and uh, we uh, we got through around the other side, and and then we ended up in New Zealand, and it was party central. And it was just. Uh, I feel sorry for tourists, you know, special. <laughs> so so tell me what the process was when you. Uh were planning to land in New Zealand, like, like you had no communication or very rudimentary communication. And so what was your, what was your expectation when you, when you, you know, came in into New Zealand or, or tried to land in New Zealand? What was the process there? Well, my wife, Kathy, saved me from all that. I didn't really get, I didn't get COVID at all, right? Well, let's not go to Tasmania because Australia is kind of a nuisance, right? So we'll go to New Zealand. Okay. Well, Kathy and I met in Dunedin. Oh, we'll go to Dunedin. I was like, oh, okay, great. We'll meet in Dunedin. And then Kathy came back. Oh, we're not going to go to Dunedin. They don't like that there. We've got to go to Christchurch. I said, oh, well, okay, whatever. I didn't know whatever, right? Well, Kathy's going to meet me in in, in in Christchurch and and she didn't bother me with the COVID details. And uh, and we got closer, she said, no, I can't come. And I said, really? She said, no, I can't come because of COVID. Oh, why? What's with that? Like, you're a New Zealand citizen. We should be, oh, no, it's all locked down again. But don't worry, I have a friend there from, you know, a girlfriend, sailing friend, and we'll look after you. Oh, okay, whatever. And uh, <laughs> and I had no idea it was coming, right? It was really coming. And as it turns out, I got her, I ended up in Christchurch the day after they released their most severe sanctions on their citizens, where the people who had boats in this arena couldn't even visit their boats for two months, apparently, right? Anyway, I arrived and, and the whole country was was locked up from the world. And Kathy chatted away and worked away with the harbor master and they went up the, the chain and whatnot. And so they made an exception for, for me. 
And before they knew it was going to be open even, right? And then they opened the day before. So then I was, uh, they ended up just because it was fortuitous for me. And I was a little harbinger of good times to come for the New Zealand country. I was the only tourist in the whole country, right? <laughs> Six o'clock news. They really followed the news. And stuff. It was, I had no idea it was coming. And we have a rule. We never come into a port after dark if we don't know it. If we don't know the port, we stay out at sea and then we come in in daylight. And I had a couple of days of calms, just I drifted around outside Christchurch waiting to, for a breeze to blow me in because the engine wouldn't start. Everything was pretty much gone. And uh, finally, I, 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 breeze brought me in and, and, and I, I got into the harbor and the harbor master came out to meet me. I mean, they're so nice, New Zealanders, right? The harbor master came out, wow, I had a busy harbor. I mean, there's not wasn't busy at all. There's nobody there. Right? Harbor master came out in his dinghy and he escorted me into the customs dock in this pretty big harbor. And uh, just as the sun's going down, I get nervous because it's four o'clock or whatever. And I get in and the, and, the, and the citizen, the New Zealand customs people were so sweet. And they, and they, 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 I was in there for like over two hours having a party with these people (laughs) when's the last time you had anybody in here is it all in one turns together oh is it three and a half or four no you guys know i was pushing on four years since we last saw a boat come you know an international boat coming here right so i was like it's a spectacular you know rare event for this little harbor which is the major port for the south island of the whole country and then finally they finished it's pitch black out there right and the, and the police with the dog were in pixie and roaming around they're all very nice and then so I was, oh my god now i can't have to go to the other side of this harbor in pitch black with no lights no nothing right and so it was the second last time the engine started out there they're gonna have to tell me because i don't think it's gonna start but it started we got so I'm driving through this, following this inflatable through this busy, great big harbor and a pitch black. And then I could see some floodlights off in the distance. And we, we, I followed it behind this guy. Lo and behold, I can hear all this noise going on. There's big floodlights, you know, like a football stadium <laughs> shining on the dock. And I said, I got all my lines on the port side. Is that going to be? I said, oh, yeah, no problem. It's the wrong side, but we'll change. Oh, really? So I drove into this tiny little dead end marina. And there's all these people going on. I realized, oh, this is a, this is cat, whatever, right? So, you know, that was, a, you know, I had no idea, absolutely no idea what was happening. And, and that was just the beginning of a wild mystical tour of three weeks in New Zealand, right? There. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, it was really fun. But Sirens. There's, there's news footage of you getting off the boat and someone greeting you with, uh, I think it was a cookie or a cake. Or, uh, yeah. And I think that you uh, sort of touched the dock and then bent down and kissed it. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was great, man. So great. <laughs> Because I was 43 south, I'm around, you know, two or 300 miles around the bottom of New Zealand. I knew I was just going further north. Those big waves are never going to, they didn't, I've never seen, like, the, yeah, I knew the the ocean was going to be calm compared to the seas that was down there. I'm just, I'm so glad to have made it right in. Yeah, I know, it was, uh, it was a really spectacular, life is not a con- continuum, but a series <laughs> of moments. And that was one fantastic moment, right? It's just fantastic. Yeah, it was really great. What can I say? It was absolutely great. And it just, you know, like, like it just kept going. The things people did for me. And it was just really, it was a, it was a treat. It was an absolute treat. It was a, I got tired of posing, if you can believe it, right? <laughs> you go to a liquor store and I'm posing with all the guys. And on the street, they're stopping me on the street and everything, right? It was just a hoot. I'm from Lethbridge, remember? This was never supposed to happen. <laughs> I figured I missed it all. I figured I was too bad. Well, I'm glad I missed COVID. That was, that was a close call. Like, nobody was wearing masks at that point, right? Right. They were all done. They figured we were all figured it was over. I missed the whole thing. Little did we know that it was not over yet. But yeah, just, but anyway, and we lived that dream. Just the yeah, first fun. act. <laughs> yeah, first, first act. 
first act. Yeah. No. And so, no. so what's your what's your next adventure? Well, I don't know. We we have that. It's a, the current plan is no plan, and uh, <laughs> we got the boat back into shape. Now getting me back into shape, and uh, we have a beautiful uh, Great Dane puppy who's ten years old this week, and uh, she is in her her final her 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 end game. We're looking after her. That's the first thing, and uh, we just settled down in here. I we don't really know <clears throat> what's what's going to happen. We got a few we got a few irons out there. The boat's getting ready though. She's ready, pretty ready to go. The good news is she's she's glass and not metal. If she was a, a metal boat, we'd be looking at the Northwest Passage, but that's more of a motorboat boat trip. It's not really a sailing trip. So I don't know, maybe another, maybe another little offshore. She's got it in her. She's good to go pretty much. <laughs> uh, not if I can hang in here, we'll be okay. Once Daisy goes to heaven, then we'll, we'll decide what we're going to do, but that's possible. Yeah. Yeah. You need a program. I need a target. But you're right. Like you need a target. You can't just drift around like this is not the real truth. Tell you like you got to have a program. I I just once again, you know, they're still healthy, so we as well go for it, right? Yeah, uh, it seems to seems to me that you've always had that goal and that vision. And once you've once you've fixate, fixated on it, then you're good to go. You're hundred percent. Totally. Yeah. yeah it's, it's not the destination. It's the, it's the, it's the process getting there. And that's what gives joy to life. Right. And uh, so we're not done yet. We've got more things to do and we're blessed. We're just lucky, you know, been really, really healthy. And uh, so it's, it's an open season still. Yeah. So what would you say to, to, to a younger Billy, you know, when he was 18, 19, now that you've, you're the senior Billy. Mm-hmm. What's your What's your advice to to the younger Billy? Stay Stay the course and have confidence in the system and in yourself. Especially, we're so lucky here in Canada, right? Have confidence in the system and just clean your nose clean. My dad said, "Walk carefully." You cast a long shadow, right? We, you know, we focused and stay on that and have mission goals that, that, that are that are good, clean, and decent, and take you down the road where you want to go. And stay the course, just. Hang in there and keep keep going. Get out of bed every day and uh, give it your best shot. That's it. And uh, and have a goal. Have a have a dream out there. Don't be. Then there's all those pitfalls along the way, right? Don't fall into any of those pitfalls. But have keep your eyes open to see what goes in there. Kind of walk around a little bit. <laughs> be nice. Be nice. Yeah. Be nice to people. Mm-hmm. Keep your yeah. have a dream. Yeah. And really totally. and really go for it. Yeah, and there's time is limited. You're gonna run out of time for guarantee. Stoics say, you know, you will soon forget everything you've learned, and then you will soon be forgotten. So mm. make it happen while you got it, right? And uh, and be part of the solution. Really, it's that simple. It's really simple. And yeah, it goes around, comes around, right? And but just to be part of the solution. <laughs> so. I think we're we're coming coming to the end of our our conversation. I really sort of think that uh, you've you've shed some real insp- inspiration onto you know what to do with with uh, with your life and and how to really sort of um, uh, you know go for it. And you know I do really appreciate your time. Oh no, Rick! I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. You've always been a solid. You're you're just what I've been talking about. I mean, you're always a treat to work with and. Uh, no, I, I'm an honor to be sitting here opposite you. I thank you so much for this uh, opportunity. Oh, I got one last little thing. One last yes, little thing. Yes, of course. 
there's 18 months since I got home. And, and uh, when I give it a little chit chat, I say, Oh, thank you for this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is my privilege, but that's not, it's not my pleasure. It's not my pleasure. It's more than my pleasure. Right. This is really kind of cool. 18 months later, it feels like I go at home for 18 days. I'm like, well, what's with that? How is that? How come it hasn't gone down, right? Like people say the Southern Ocean will change you. It really does kind of change you. But I didn't really believe that like rogue waves, but I believe it now, right? And so when I look back in the literature, the rhyme of the ancient mariner, remember, the, you're familiar with the rhyme of the ancient mariner, Rick? Yeah, you know, that's what the albatross around your neck and water, water everywhere and all the boards did shrink water, water everywhere, not a drop to drink. Mm -hmm. And, you know, ice was here. The ice was there. It was a famous 1798. And he was cursed. Remember, the mariner was cursed to go tell his story because he killed the, the bird that made the breeze to blow. Right. Well. Caldridge, Samuel Caldridge, when he wrote that poem, he was 26 years old and he'd never been to sea. Mm -hmm. So how did he get it? Like the albatross is the quintessential life force of the Southern Ocean. How did William Caldridge and yeah. his friend, William Wordsworth, come up with the, with, nailed it on the head, absolutely nailed the Southern Ocean. And they misconstrued that the mariner was forced to tell us a tale as penance for having killed the bird. Right? It's not that, Wrong. is it? Who, how did Caldridge <laughs> know that? Get this, Rick. Caldridge's high school teacher, when he was a teenager, 10 years earlier, was a fellow by the name of William Wades and William Wades was the astronomer for Captain Cook on his uh -huh. second. So William Wades was, was, was Coleridge's teacher when, when, and, and William Wades was the ancient mariner. He was, he was cursed with this having to tell his story. And you know what? I think it's a form. I think it's a form of PTSD. I think it's a form of PTSD soldiers or we can't talk about it because dismembered people and sausages and red stuff. No, they get, but sailors can talk about big waves of water and stuff. Right. And so they, they're forced to try and they have to tell their story. And I think Cat Caldridge's teacher gave him the full meal deal and Caldridge <laughs> got it. And then he wrote the poem. Isn't that great? I think so. So I'm so I thank you for this opportunity to tell my story because nobody's really ready to hear the story of our dinner for an hour. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you're locked in your soul. You can't tell it out. So having this opportunity to talk to you about this is really exciting for me because it it, it releases some. So it's more than pleasure. Thank you very much, Doctor. Thank you. <laughs> you're more than uh, more than happy. Yeah, I'm more than happy to 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 hear it and. Um, I'm going to listen to it again because it's uh, it's it's a great uh, it's a great story and you know I think that you've got such a personality that um, it, it's just a pleasure listening to it. So thanks oh, again. No. no, thank you, Rick. Okay, Dr. Hugh. Okay, <laughs> all right. Thank you very much. Sir. Have a great great evening. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Winding Life Podcast. Special thanks to Greg Mano for audio and video recording and production, and to Nick Wright for audio editing and production.